I, I'd like to start today right off the bat. I, I got several questions after last week's service, and um, these are some pretty pretty deep theological questions. So I want to just address the questions first before I go into the sermon. The first question was, do I really have a refrigerator that has a live camera feed to my phone? No, Denise, I do not. <laughs> Second one, was that really sour milk that I poured out of the container? No, it wasn't. And if you'd like the recipe of that good-looking stuff, I would be happy to share that. But it was not sour milk. Uh, and then the, uh, the third question was, why do I keep my radio in my refrigerator? You know, because I took it, does anybody remember that? Took it out of my fridge. I don't keep my radio in the fridge. And those are all the questions, thankfully, no more of that. Today, I'm excited because we get to talk about the baptism of the Holy Spirit, which can be a very confusing topic. And I hope that today, looking at the scriptures that deal with that, that we will get some clarity on the issue. Um, it's, a, it's a controversial issue, but I think if we look at the scriptures honestly, we can get a clear picture on, um, on what, it, what it really says, what the Bible says about this topic. I will repeat what I said last week many times as we study the doctrine that the scripture teaches us about the Holy Spirit in this series, that we, not, we don't want it only to be about the doctrine, about knowing more about God, knowing more about the Holy Spirit. We want this to be something that we actually feel the change, sense the change, see the change in our hearts as we respond to the Holy Spirit because we've gotten to know him better through what the Bible says about it. So that's, that's the prayer for today. Uh, so let's take a moment and we will pray together to that end. Oh Lord, speak to us. Holy Spirit, speak to us as we seek to learn more about you, about your spirit, about what you do, who you are, and how you desire our hearts to be aligned with you. Oh Lord, this morning, teach us. Our hearts are open to your word. Show us now, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. So just a, a quick background, something that you need to understand. As we talk about the baptism of the Holy Spirit today, we're not talking about baptism in the water, what we do over there in our baptismal. They are two separate things. Now they are connected and they are both an experience of the Christian life, but they are separate things. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is a work that Christ does in our heart. The baptism in water is a work that we do showing the work that Christ has done in our heart. It's a, it's a step of obedience on our part as we go under the water and identify with Christ in that. However, the baptism of the Holy Spirit is something that he does in us and specifically working in our heart. So we need to keep that in mind with that. The... Um, I, the where I want to start is to look at Luke chapter 3. We'll begin by looking at Luke chapter 3. In this chapter, John the Baptist prophesies something about Jesus. In this passage, people have gathered by the Jordan River to be baptized by the Holy Spirit. And if we can have that passage up on the screen, there we go. This is from Luke chapter 3. This is what it says. Now, while the people were in a state of expectation and all were wondering in their hearts about John as to whether he was the Christ, John answered and said to them, as for me, I baptize you with water. 
But one is coming who is mightier than I, and I am not fit to untie the thong of his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. So John is saying, I am here in the Jordan River baptizing you, dunking you in the water, but there's somebody coming who will baptize you with the Holy Spirit instead of with water. So John makes this prophecy. What's significant is that this appears in all four Gospels. So not everything in Jesus' life appears in all four Gospels, but this particular prophecy does appear in all four Gospels that we are reminded that John will baptize with water, but someone is coming who will baptize not with water, but with the Holy Spirit. And this happened at the start of Jesus' ministry. Not long after this, Jesus showed up, and he identified with sinners by being baptized in the water by John. And when he comes, John says, oh, this indeed is the one that I told you about who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. And so Jesus begins his ministry and for three years lives among mankind, And at the end of those three years, he accomplishes what he came to do, which was to be the substitutionary death for you and me. That means he stepped into where you and I should have been, and he did it himself. He died on the cross. Well, why should he have died? He shouldn't have died for his own sin. He had no sin, but he died in place of you and me because our sin has separated us from God. And so Jesus took all of that on, went to the cross, was crucified, died on the cross, and experienced the separation that characterizes our life without Christ. Once Jesus died, then he was buried, and then he rose again. He rose again in a new body, a new resurrected body, not the same old body. It was the same body, but it was resurrected and in a new form of resurrection. And the resurrection is so important because what it declares is that God the Father accepted this substitution that Christ did on our behalf. He rose Jesus from the dead to prove that I have accepted the sacrifice on behalf of all of these rebellious people in the world who have been against me. And now because of you, I can accept them because you have provided the way for them to come to me. And that's what Jesus provided on the cross for us. So in his resurrected body, then he lived on the earth for 40 more days. Over the next 40 days, Jesus presented himself alive by many, by many convincing proofs, it said. And so then in the next passage, we read Jesus gathering the disciples together. He commanded them not to leave Jesus, but to wait for what the Father had promised, which, he said, you heard from me, For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So Jesus agrees with the prophecy, and he says, yes, John has baptized you with water, but I will be baptizing you with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Ten days later, the disciples are gathered together in a room, and we heard Chad read that this morning. The Holy Spirit came upon them. He descended upon them with the sound of a wind and with the sight of flame, and they were given the ability to speak many languages, and the reason why it was necessary was because this was the Feast of Pentecost. Jews from all over the world would come to Jerusalem to celebrate Pentecost. They didn't all speak Hebrew or Aramaic, the language of the time. 
And so the disciples were actually given the ability to speak to every single one of those people in their original language, and they did just that. They spoke the language, they spoke the gospel in their language, and this is the birth of the church. The church is born at this point. Up until now, Christ had only taught about the church. The church didn't exist. But now when the Holy Spirit comes and fell upon these disciples and they declared the gospel to these people of many nations, the universal church was born. And that's what happened uh, at Pentecost, at the celebration of Pentecost. So I want to talk about the meaning of the word baptism. This is really important that we understand this. Baptism, the word, is a word that literally means to be dipped or to be dunked, to be immersed in water. So it was actually the word that was used for dyeing a garment. If you wanted to change the color of a garment, so you could take the color like this, so a white shirt, and you can then dip it into the dye, and dip it in the dye, and then what happens eventually as it sits in the dye is it comes up a new shirt. It's a miracle. <laughs> so you dip it in the dye and that shirt changes identity. The shirt, which was a white undershirt, is now a red shirt that you don't have to wear underneath your clothing. It actually changes the identity of what was dunked into, <clears throat> into, into the dye. <clears throat> and so through that demonstration, what we see is that, that Christ dunks us, he baptizes us in the Holy Spirit. Just as John baptized with water, Christ baptizes with the Holy Spirit. We are put into the Holy Spirit and we are brought up a new creation. We have a new identity and we'll see in, in one of the verses we look at that the whole purpose of this is to bring us into the church. Remember that the, the first baptism of the Holy Spirit was the birth of the church, the two are connected. We cannot separate the fact that the baptism of the Holy Spirit is connected to the church. So I want to make some distinctions about some terms that we have to pay attention to. So let's get the slide up now that talks about indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Last week we talked about this. We talked about how when we receive Christ as our Savior, that he comes to live in us in the form of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit indwells our hearts. He takes up residence in our hearts. <clears throat> Today we're talking about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. So what that is, is upon salvation, when we receive Christ in our hearts, we are baptized with the Holy Spirit, given a new identity, and put into a new church family, a new family. Next week, Pastor John D. will be talking about the filling of the Spirit. The filling of the Spirit means to live by the Spirit, means to submit to the Spirit that is already living in your heart. Now, this is a really important distinction, and you need to hear this, that the Bible commands Christians to be filled with the Holy Spirit. We are never commanded to be baptized or indwelled by the Holy Spirit. That's because the biblical writers assume that that already took place. When you received Jesus Christ as your savior, the Holy Spirit came to live inside of you and you were baptized in the Holy Spirit. 
But this being filled is something that we seek to do. Being filled by the Holy Spirit is, is submitting, is giving our lives over to the Holy Spirit, is allowing the Holy Spirit that lives in us to actually control us and to give us the new man that he created inside of us. So it's very important. It sounds like we're splitting hairs here, but this is extremely important in understanding how our growth takes place as believers. When we grow spiritually, when we become more and more like Christ, it's because we are submitting more and more to him and giving, giving ourselves over to the filling of the Holy Spirit. We'll get a lot more detail about that next week. But the point here is that everybody, every Christian, every person who says, I want to follow Christ, I trust in him for, as my savior and the forgiveness of my sins, that we are then indwelled with the Holy Spirit and baptized in the Holy Spirit. All receive the Holy Spirit. We see this in 1 Corinthians 12. For as even as the body is one and yet has many members, and all the members of the body, though they are many, are one body, so also is Christ. For by one spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slave or free, and we were made to drink of one spirit. So let's talk about this verse for a minute. Notice the emphasis here in the next slide. For even as the body is one and yet has many members and all the members of the body, they are, uh, though they are many, are one body. So also is Christ. For by one spirit, we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, we were all made to drink of one spirit. The apostle Paul could not have made that clearer. There is one body, there is one spirit, and we are all baptized in that spirit and into the body of Christ. Every one of us, we are made to become in this one body. Now confirming, confirming this, Paul reminds us then in Romans chapter eight. But if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Christ. So in other words, if you don't have the Holy Spirit in you, then you can't belong to Christ. Or conversely, we could say it the opposite way, if you have the Holy Spirit in you, then you do belong to Christ. He's making it clear that you cannot be a Christian and not have the Holy Spirit in you. It's very clear in these passages. And then in Ephesians, the Holy Spirit reminds us that there is one body and one spirit, just as also you were called in one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. What is the main repeated word in that passage? One, one, and then all would be the second. There is one spirit, one body, one Lord, one calling. This is important, there are not two baptisms of the Holy Spirit, there is only one. And it happens to all believers, which means it happens when we receive Jesus as our savior. There is no second baptism, there is no second blessing of the Holy Spirit, it is only one. We could say this passage this way, we could say that there's one Lord who has baptized us in one Holy Spirit, 
putting us into the body of Christ, making us all become children of one God and Father. That's the point of all of these scripture passages. So back to 1 Corinthians then. It says here, for even as the body is one and yet has many members, and all the members are of the body, they are all many, though they are many, are one body, so also is Christ. For by one spirit we were all baptized into one body. Really significant that we understand who Paul is writing this to. He's writing this to the Corinthians. Do you know who the Corinthians were? They were, of all of the churches in the New Testament, they were the roughest crowd. This was not a godly bunch of people. They were pretty worldly, pretty carnal. You know, they were divided amongst themselves. They, they thought, you know, I thought I was better because I received Jesus, I received Jesus under the preaching of John Desiderio. I received Jesus under the preaching of Greg. So they were divided among themselves and competing with one another in those kinds of things. They were getting drunk on the communion wine. Can you even imagine it? They were getting drunk on the communion wine. They were eating, some of them were eating so much of the, the, the fellowship feast that others were going hungry. They were allowing immorality in the church. They even had a man, and they condoned this, that a man was having a relationship with his stepmother. That was this church, not this church. <laughs> Let me make that clear. That was the Corinthians. And what does Paul say about them? We were all baptized into one body. How can that be? We see the point is that they were given the baptism of the Spirit upon receiving Jesus as their Savior. They weren't living like they had the Holy Spirit in them because they weren't filled by the Holy Spirit. But they were baptized in the Holy Spirit because when that happened, he put them into the body of Christ. And he's saying, and now you're in this beautiful body of Christ and look at how you're acting with one another. It's shameful. Shameful. And so that's what was going on with, with this. You know, the, the theologians uh, put it this way. They say that the baptism of the Holy Spirit is talking about our position, not our practice. What that means is that when we are baptized in the Holy Spirit, we are put into the position of a new environment, the church, the people of God, the body of Christ, but it doesn't necessarily affect our practice. What will affect our practice is the filling of the Holy Spirit, which we seek as believers. So that's important to remember that. Even though these Corinthians were filled with, or, or had the Holy Spirit in them, they were not living like it. And so it is with us. We can actually be a part of the church, having been baptized by the Holy Spirit, put into this new environment of the body of Christ and not act like the Holy Spirit made any difference in us at all. Wow, that's a tough question. We have to ask ourselves that question. Am I looking like the Holy Spirit that lives in me? Why don't we submit to the Holy Spirit who is living in us? How can I have the Holy Spirit in us and yet still I look like the old guy I was before Christ? Or back to the shirts, how come I could dye the shirt and yet sometimes it comes up the old color? Why is that? And that's a question that the scripture asks, asks us. And make no mistake that while we can live that way, it doesn't please God. God, it's not what he desires for us. 
The whole reason he puts the Holy Spirit in us is so that we can live a life for Christ. But when we quench the Spirit, when we don't live by the Spirit, we don't look like the Holy Spirit that lives in us. In Galatians, he tells us this. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. He's saying, you've been given new clothes. These are Jesus-looking clothes, and you're wearing them. Why do the old rags keep showing through those clothes? Why are those old rags even still there? You see, we can actually live with that kind of inconsistency. We have to ask ourselves those questions. Now, all of this is important, and we need to understand it because there are churches that teach something different than this. And, and I'll show you how they get there. <clears throat> but these churches, we call them Pentecostal churches. They call themselves that because they name themselves after the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit came and baptized the disciples there. So what they believe is that the Holy Spirit comes upon you sometime after you receive Jesus Christ as your Savior. So you would pray and receive the Lord as your Savior. You commit to following him. You say you want to be this new creature. And they would say that sometime beyond that point, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. Now they say that, in in saying that, what they're saying is that you either have to earn it You have to be good enough to be the environment that the Holy Spirit would want to come and live in you or that you have to um, ask for it, that you're required to ask and that he doesn't come in until you ask. So what they're saying is that it's something you must do to receive the Holy Spirit. Now, to understand where they get this from, we read the passage, the believers were waiting in the room And then the Holy Spirit came upon them. Well, they were already believers. And then the Holy Spirit came upon them and baptized them. Now, a little later on in Acts, the gospel goes forward from the Jewish nation, from Israel, to Samaria, the half-breeds. These were half-Jews, half-Gentiles. The gospel came to them, and people were receiving Jesus. They were hearing the good news and responding. Well, before the Holy Spirit came on them, the disciples had to go to them and determine, was this real? Is this really the work of God? When the disciples saw that it really was the work of God, then the baptism of the Holy Spirit came upon them. The gospel moves even farther, now out of Samaria and now into the lands of the Gentiles. People are coming to the Lord. Well, the disciples again need to confirm, is this true? Is this really the work of Jesus? They go to the land of Gentiles and they determine it is the work of the Lord and the Holy Spirit comes upon them as well. Now, in the book of Acts, what we have is the description of how the church was born in Jerusalem and how it spread out from there in centrifugal circles, basically. That's what's described in the book of Acts. But in the rest of the New Testament, in all of the letters, we don't see the Holy Spirit working that way because the book of Acts was describing the birth of the church. It wasn't describing the practice and the doctrine of the church. But the New Testament letters do, and we understand through the letters that we've been seeing that all believers are baptized in the Holy Spirit. 
at the time that they received Jesus Christ as their savior. Very important that we understand that. Now, another important thing here is that that, um, the purpose of baptism, we already touched on this, that the purpose of baptism is to put us in a new environment, the environment that we call the church. So with that in mind, we turn back to 1 Corinthians 12 again. And we see the, the highlighted here, for by one spirit, we were all baptized into one body. Now, you all still with me? All right, all right. I'm gonna get just a little more detailed and then we'll back it off and we can have fun again, okay? The word by here, for by one spirit. In Greek, we often say how Greek has more words for a particular word than English does. For instance, our word love is one word. Greek has four words for the word love. There's romantic love, there's uh, brotherly love, there's sacrificial love. It has four words for love because it's a very specific language. But there are some prepositions that are not specific that we can translate many different ways. One of them is the word that's for by here, for by one spirit. That same word in every other passage that talks about the baptism of the Holy Spirit, that same word is translated with. Where John the Baptist baptized with water, same word, and someone is coming after me who will baptize you with, same word, the Holy Spirit. It's the same word. In the New American Standard, they chose the word by here, but some of your, your editions will say in or with, and those are certainly as accurate. And I would say that if we're gonna use scripture to interpret scripture, that if every other place that the Holy Spirit baptism is mentioned uses the word with, then we ought to be consistent with this. Why this is important? Because the churches that teach that the Holy Spirit baptism is something separate, they look here and they say, oh, for by one spirit we were baptized. In other words, they say the Holy Spirit is doing the baptism. The Holy Spirit doesn't do the baptism. Christ does the baptism. We saw that in all those other passages. Someone is coming, Jesus Christ is coming, and he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the agent that we get dipped in. The Holy Spirit is not the one that does the dipping. It's Christ who baptizes us with the Holy Spirit. That's of huge importance. Because if we take this as by, the only one verse that gets translated this different way, then we can make a whole, a whole doctrine out of this and say, well, the Holy Spirit actually does the baptizing here. All right, you with me still? Did I lose you? Is that clear? Uh, yeah, right, all right. Yeah, we can talk. Send me, a, send me a letter. All right. Okay, so this is really important. Um, uh, the Holy Spirit is the material that we are baptized in. And, and so what comes of this, there, there are, two things that we have to understand here is that um, if the purpose of the Holy Spirit baptism is to put us into that new environment called the church, then is it possible to be a Christian and not be baptized by the Holy Spirit? It's not. Because how can I be a Christian and belong to the church if the Holy Spirit isn't in me. The only way I get into the church is by the Holy Spirit 
baptizing or by the baptism in the Holy Spirit. So you cannot be a Christian and not be a part of the church, so you must be baptized with the Holy Spirit. It also explains why there is no such thing as the baptism of the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament. There was no church in the Old Testament. The church was the invention of Jesus Christ. He said, when I go and ascend to heaven, this church, my believers, my followers, will become my body into which you will be baptized. In the Old Testament, there was no church, and so the Old Testament has no baptism of the Holy Spirit. It is only something that happens because Christ baptizes us with the Holy Spirit and places us into the body of Christ. Okay, so now, concluding. All, what does this all mean? It, it means that it is important that we understand the process. When you receive Jesus Christ as your Savior, the Holy Spirit indwells you and you are baptized with the Holy Spirit, dipped with the Holy Spirit, and placed into this new environment, this new community, you are given a new identity. That new identity means that you are here. Now, this church is a local expression of the overall universal church that we are placed into. We are a local expression of that. But when you receive Jesus as your Savior, you are put into the family of God. So this is... So important, because when we are baptized in the Holy Spirit, we're not only put into the family of God, but he gives us everything we need to live life in that family. You can't separate the baptism from being a part of the church. So I want to finish out by touching on what this baptism actually accomplishes for us. And the first thing is, it gives us new life. Baptism in the Holy Spirit gives us new life. Nicodemus came to Jesus and he said, I want to know what you're teaching. Tell me the secret behind all of this. And Jesus said to him these words. He said, unless a person is born of the Spirit, of the Holy Spirit, he may not enter the kingdom of heaven. We are given new life through the Holy Spirit who lives in us. We can't have that new life unless the Holy Spirit indwells us unless we are baptized into him. The second thing here is that he ensures that we will have everything we need to live our spiritual life. Jesus said this, this is so beautiful. If any man is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture says, from his innermost being shall flow rivers of living water. You get that rivers, not even just one river, but rivers of living water. In other words, the Holy Spirit, that baptism gives us everything we need for spiritual life. Everything we need, he puts in us. Now, some of you will sit here and say, you know, I don't feel like I have rivers flowing out of me or flowing in me or anything. It's because the river's dammed up, and that's what we do. We can dam up the river of living water, right, and have it not flow in us. But that's not the intent. The intent is that the, the Holy Spirit be living in us and in, represented in living waters that are filling us and overflowing to those around us. That's what it is to, to have everything we need for spiritual life. In the next two weeks, when Pastor John D. talks about the filling of the Spirit, and then after that we'll talk about, about the new man and the old man and, and being a new creation in Christ. Those two weeks we will get into some very nitty-gritty 
about what this looks like and how to really live within these rivers of living waters and let them flow in and out of us. It's a beautiful thing and I hope you'll be back for that. Third thing is that we are sealed with the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 1 says, having believed, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise. I love this. The sealing of the Holy Spirit, it means security. It means that we can be secure in the certainty of salvation. That we can be secure in the the fact that we belong to God. We never have to doubt that as believers. We belong to him. Think of it this way. God seals us with the Holy Spirit. He says that the Holy Spirit is the seal. So God seals us with the Holy Spirit. That means the only thing that can break that seal is something that is stronger than God. Is there anything? No. That seal of salvation cannot be broken. When you receive Jesus Christ as your Savior, God seals us with the Holy Spirit. That's the baptism of the Holy Spirit on us. And that baptism is the seal of our salvation, that we are his. We belong to him. And he has saved us, it says in the Bible, until the day of redemption. He has sealed us until the day of redemption. What's that talking about? That there's nothing in this life that can take us away from God. We are sealed until the day of redemption. What's the day of redemption? When our salvation is finally realized in full, we're done with this life, done with sin, done with temptation, done with corruption, and we are sealed until that day when we will live with him forever. That's a beautiful thing to be sealed in the Holy Spirit. Well, the fourth benefit of the baptism with the Holy Spirit is that we are put into the unity of the body of Christ, into the unity. There is only one family of God, one universal family of God, and you're in it. There's not another one. And this local expression is the one you're stuck with. Take a look, look around. The people you're looking at, those are your mothers. Those are your fathers. Those are your brothers. Those are your sisters. Those are your children. We are in one family. You know that this family tie, according to the scriptures, is stronger than a family tie. Jesus says, oh, your family, your earthly family may reject you, but in the church, you will have a hundred mothers, a hundred brothers. And he says, that's now. Not, Not talking about the future. He's talking about now. People, this is not poetic language. This is literal. You are in the family of God. Now, this has has tremendous implications. First of all, the battle of sexes ends in the church. Racism ends in the church because we are all given the Holy Spirit. It doesn't matter who we are. So divisions end in the church. So if there is disunity in the church, then we have to say it is not of the spirit and it is in fact a spiritual matter. So brother and brother, sister and sister, if you you are having issues with one another, it's a spiritual matter. It's not just a, I don't get along with that person. It's not just a, we had words. 
It's not just a, I'll avoid that person because I don't want to be in the same room with them. It's a spiritual matter and it affects the church. Think of it in a practical way. If you don't want to be with somebody, are you really wanna, going to want to go to the outreach with them? Are you really going to want to go to the Awana Grand Prix with them? No. It affects ministry in the church. And if I think back to uh, Philippians chapter 4 just a few weeks ago, there were two women, Euodia and Syntyche, and they were arguing with each other. And you know what Paul said to them? Ladies, can you just get over it? Because your problem is this small in comparison to the gospel. There's something so much more important than the silly little thing you're arguing about. Can you get over yourself? Can you get over your pride? Can you get over the insult? And let love, which covers the multitude of sins, wash over that other person. That's what it is to be unified in Christ. So when there's a rift between us, we are hurting the body of Christ. When we gossip about our brothers or our sisters or our mothers here or fathers or children, we are hurting the body of Christ. When we're unkind to one another or abrasive with one another, we are hurting the body of Christ into which you were baptized. When we express our opinions condemningly, We are hurting the body of Christ, the unity of the spirit. We are called to maintain the spirit. Jesus says, you've been given unity, and we as believers are called to maintain the unity that he gave us. So it's very important that we think about that. When we talk about the baptism of the Holy Spirit, it's not just about you and God. It's about you and the church that you've been baptized into placed into. Finally, we receive a new identity and new nature. Ah, this is so beautiful. People, every one of us lived our lives identifying with Adam. Adam, who sinned against God, and because he was our father and represented us before God, every human being on this planet identifies with Adam. We have a sin nature, we rebel against God, whether that's outward rebellion or just quiet complacency, we rebel against God. We live in the kingdom of darkness, we identify with him in that Satan is our father, we identify with him in that our destiny is complete and total separation from God in a place called hell. That's our identification with Adam. When the the Holy Spirit comes in us, when Christ baptizes us in the Holy Spirit, he puts us into a new environment. And in that new environment, we get a new identity to identify with Christ. Just as Christ identified with sinners, and died on our behalf, we get to now identify with God the Son. And when we identify with him, we're no longer identified with Adam. That means that you no longer live in the kingdom of darkness. Instead, you live in the kingdom of light. That means as believers, you no longer have the destiny that you did when you identified with Adam. Your destiny is now eternity with God. 
that means that though your sin nature is still a part of you, you are given the power to overcome the sin nature and wrestle with it. And the Holy Spirit is in you to help you put the sin nature down. We are given new identity. We are brought from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. Paul says it this way, if any man is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old things passed away. Behold, new things have come, new. Our death sentence has been changed to a sentence of life, life, eternal life, life with God. We are taken out of Satan's tyranny and brought into the care of a loving God. And so this morning, I suppose there are some here that are fed up, fed up with identifying with, with Adam, fed up with sin in your life, fed up with, with uh, being, being chained to corruption, to destruction, to disease, to decay. And Jesus says, you don't have to stay there. I'm offering to you now that you could be identified with me, he says. Identified with me, receive life, receive hope, receive promise, receive light, receive the promise of redemption and salvation, and receive the Holy Spirit in you so you can live life with peace and joy for the first time. That is offered to every person here in this room. If you've not received Jesus Christ as your savior, you can do that today simply by putting your faith and say, Lord, I believe that you died in my place as I've heard this morning. And I wanna receive that, 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 receive the fact that you took my place and now I wanna follow you and live in a love response to you. You can do that this morning. And if you'd like to do that, come and talk to me afterwards. I would love to talk to you about that. And for us believers that are here, it's just another opportunity for us to examine how submitted am I to the Holy Spirit. We didn't get into the how-tos. We'll do that in the next two weeks. But for now, you can begin this week simply by praying, Lord, I want more of you. I want to follow you. I, I want to know what it is to be filled with the Holy Spirit. I want to know what it is to live the life that the Holy Spirit is, is pouring out of me in rivers of living water. And we can all, every one of us, have that life. That's not just super Christians. We can all do that. Stephen's gonna come now and lead us again in, in uh, singing that Holy Spirit song. So let's stand together and just let this be your prayer as you sing this this morning.